Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for 2023. Thank you for a year of fruitfulness, God. Thank you that you carried us when we couldn't walk. Thank you that you strengthened us so that we could walk. Thank you that you enabled us so that we could run, God. Lord, let everything we have done this year bring glory and honor to your name. And we thank you for what you have for us in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, you can go and grab your seats. Thank you, band. Oh, I can't believe it is the last day of 2023. I mean, I wasn't going to ask who's excited, but I can tell Jess is excited. She's pumped. She hated this year. She's like, 2024 can't come soon enough. I'm sure that is not true. <laughs> well, good morning, church. How are we feeling? Yeah? You may be tired now, but... Tomorrow, you're going to be full of beans. It's amazing. It's this incredible moment. That clock strikes 12, and we're just ready for the new year. Right now, we questioned why we got out of bed. At 12 o'clock, we're not even going to want to go to bed. It's just like 2024. It's just incredible what uh, that little mind shift does. It's like, yeah, new year, new me. Let's go. Um, I have no New Year's resolutions. My wife wishes I had New Year's resolutions, obviously. Um, yeah, okay. Well, we'll talk about it later in the car, I'm sure. No, I think um, I'm happy with my life. I think I'm just going to just put it in neutral, let the car go down the hill. No? All right, I'll do something. We'll figure it out. I know us as a church, though. We are going places. We're going to be doing incredible things in 2024 because God is in control. God is leading us. God is guiding us. God is speaking into our lives. God is equipping us and enabling us to do so much more as a church, as a community here at Redcliffe. So I'm excited for where the church is going in 2024 and what God's going to be doing in us and through us. So that's going to be fantastic. I do want to thank you, church, for your support of my wife and I this year. 2023 has been a jam-packed year for us, such a full year, such a busy year, such a crazy year, such a year of unexpectancies, such a year of, of, of joy. Um, I don't think, it's not been tough. I mean, it's been tiring, but I don't know, we've had, we've had a good year. Yeah, just checking. <laughs> Rosie's had a lot of time off this year. She's, she's feeling really refreshed. Uh, this is great. Uh, but I do want to thank every single one of you for your prayer and your support. Uh, this was our first full year here at Emerge Church, or Redcliffe, which has just been fantastic. And um, we've just really felt your love and your support and your prayer and your, your comfort. Um, a few of you have actually come up to me and, and asked what you could do for us, and we really do appreciate that, and we really love you guys as well. So give yourselves a round of applause. You're a good church. Well, this morning, I want to, I get to share part two of a message I preached a couple of weeks ago uh, called The Advantage. 
So I'm going to continue on with that, and I just want to give you a quick recap of what it was about a couple of weeks ago. So in part one of the advantage, I spoke about Simon gaining a great advantage when he listened to God and when he did as God told him to do. He gained an advantage when his reason changed. So he was a fisherman. He fished for a living. That's what he did. And so when Jesus asked him to fish again, even though he spent the whole previous night fishing and caught nothing, his reason changed at that moment and he fished for Jesus. He did what he was doing for years, but his reason changed. He now did it because Jesus asked him to do it. And then a a second... um, Fact, factor about the odds changing changing for Simon was that when when Jesus asked him to do it, he did it. So his reason was because Jesus asked him and the timing changed. So Peter was fishing at night because that's when fishermen fished. That's when the fish were out. That's when they were feeding. That's when the fishermen fished. That was the best time of the day to do it. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, also named, named Peter, it gets really confusing, but, you know, we're going to go on a journey together today and, and muck up his name a bit more. So it's going to be a lot of fun. When Jesus asked Simon to fish during the day, it wasn't the right timing. It wasn't when people fished, but it was the perfect timing because that's when Jesus asked him to do it. And the story goes on that Simon pulled in such a big catch that his boat was overflowing. Another boat had to come to help to put all the fish in, and almost both of them sunk. It was an incredible miracle of of God's provision. It was such a great advantage that Peter found or that Simon found when he listened to God, when he did things that God asked him to do, and he did it when God asked him to do it. And the third part of uh, the odds changing is that when we do what God has asked us to do, when we stay obedient to Him, new doors will open, different doors open, and God takes us to a new place. God takes us further. He takes us into a different space so that we can continue to be effective for Him. Because I really do believe that obedience determines our success. Us as as believers of Jesus, and if you're not a believer in Jesus in this room, here's a glimpse into our life a little bit here. Obedience it determines our success. If we are not obedient to Jesus, we're not successful as Jesus followers. But when we are obedient to Jesus and we do as he asks us to do, we cannot ask for a greater success than that. We will be successful in all we do because he leads us, he guides us. So that is part one. That's a real quick summary of part one. So this morning I'm going to continue the advantage So the title of my message this morning is The Advantage. (laughs) Subtitle, Even If. So I want to read to you the scripture that God has given me for the foundation of this message. And it was the foundation of the previous uh, advantage as well. And it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 78 to 79. It says this, Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. The reason why this is the foundation verse or the anchor verse of this message is because in that speaks of a great advantage. In that there is a great advantage. And the advantage is light. 
The advantage is to be able to see. The advantage is that we who sit in darkness are now able to see. We who sit in the shadow of death are now able to see because of the morning light or the light from heaven that is breaking upon us. And that, that there is the words of Zechariah as he prophesies of the coming of Jesus. The morning light, the coming of Jesus, the light of heaven that has come to this world to give us the advantage. You see, we as Christians, we walk through life and we, we tick a lot of boxes, but there is so much more for us to tap into. And so this morning, I want us to go through that a little bit together. I've got three different things that I want to look at this morning with you about advantage. What advantage there is for us as believers, as followers of Jesus. So let me pray. I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you that you have given it to me, God. And I pray that your word will not return void. That it will go into the hearts of those that hear it, God. And it will change lives. It will set people free. And that we will leave differently because we've encountered you this morning. It's not about my words, Lord. It's completely and totally about your words. And I pray that I will bring glory and honor to you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So, the advantage, even if. So part one, we spoke a lot about Simon. He was our main character in part one. Well, we're going to continue on talking about Simon, but like I alluded to earlier, he has two names. Jesus also called him Peter. And so I'm going to be referring to Simon as Peter for the rest of this message because every single verse I read has Peter in it, not Simon. So hope, that's okay. Same guy, different name. So let's not get that confused. So the first even if I want to look at this morning is turn away. So Peter has now become one of Jesus' closest friends. He is so tight with Jesus. The last three years he spent just walking around with Jesus, following Jesus, watching what Jesus does, looking at what Jesus, how Jesus does it. He is one of Jesus' homies. He is so tight with him. They do everything together. Fun fact, Peter is one of the few that essentially is there at almost every single miracle that Jesus does. When Jesus sends everyone else out, it's Peter and a few others that he brings close. On the Mount of Transfiguration, as we call it, the mountain where Jesus goes up and, and shows his glory, it was three people that were with him. Peter, James, and John. Peter is so close to Jesus. He is one of Jesus' best friends, closest friends. So when Jesus is telling his disciples that one of them is about to betray him, one of them is about to, to, to give him up, to, to sell him out, and the rest of them will be scattered and, and leave him and abandon him, Peter arcs up. He's like, well, hang on a second. I know you're not talking about me here. I will do anything for you, Jesus. I would even die for you, Peter says. I will never betray you. I will never abandon you, Peter says. I won't do that. I will be with you by your side for always, forever. He is willing to die for Jesus. Well, Jesus was arrested later that night, and Peter followed Jesus. He's like, oh, I'm going to go with him. I said I'll die with him. I'm going to go with him. Peter follows Jesus, but at a distance, a little, little bit further away. I don't want to cause a scene now, but I'm going to follow you, Jesus. 
And Jesus enters into what is the high priest's house. And Peter's just standing at the gate. A little later, he then gets invited in, or he, the gate is then opened for him, and he sits. But he doesn't go into the high priest's house. He sits at the courtyard because, you know, I'll die for you, Jesus, in the courtyard. That's where I will do it. So he's there. He's ready to die for him. But if Peter was at least brave enough to go into the courtyard, the others weren't there. I think John was the only other one in the courtyard at that moment. But he's ready to die for Jesus. And he's, he's now at the courtyard. So let's read what happened from there on. So it's in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 to 70. It says this, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by the Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. I'm, and immediately the rooster crowed. The significance of this is Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him. Jesus told Peter, you are going to deny me three times before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows, before the day breaks of the new day, you will deny me. But Peter's like, no, nah, I'll never do it. I'll die for you. I'll go wherever you go. Three times Peter denied that he was a disciple of Jesus. Three times Peter lied to people. Denying that he spent the last three years with Jesus, walking with him, working with him, watching how he loves, learning from him and being equipped by him to continue what Jesus started. Peter denies the three years. After denying that he knows Jesus for the third time, Peter realized what he had done and he recognizes his failure. So confidently a few hours ago, declaring, I will never deny you. I will go with you anywhere, even to the grave. I will be there with you. And now he realizes that he has failed. If I were Peter at that moment, I would have just left the courtyard. I would have started walking away from the whole scene. I would have been so disappointed in myself, so angry with myself. Hours earlier, I passionately promised Jesus that I would follow him even to death. And now as he faces trial to be put to death, I flake. I have failed him. I can't be who Jesus has asked me to be. I can't do what Jesus has asked me to do. I said to him, I'll be there with him. I said to them, I'll follow him, even to the grave. But I can't even, I can't do that. I failed. In that frame of mind, we can easily throw in the towel and quit. We can easily disqualify ourselves from what Jesus has called us to do. We can quickly dis disregard the time Jesus invested into us. 
preparing us for what He has for us, for what He will ask us to do. When we find ourselves in those situations where we let down God, it's easy to walk away. It's easy to turn away. It's easy for us to throw in the towel and say, oh, I, can't, I can't be that. I can't be that person. I can't be that person that Jesus asked me to be. I can't be perfect. I can't be like Jesus. We can all be in that situation. Jesus then faces death, death on a cross. After being severely whipped and beaten, and Peter is still nowhere to be seen. Jesus hangs on a cross, dies the death of a criminal, and is placed in a tomb that doesn't even belong to him or his family. Peter's nowhere to be seen. Peter's not there helping bring Jesus' body off, down off the cross. Peter's not there helping wrap the body of Jesus, getting him ready for burial. Peter's not there when they place him into this tomb. Peter is not there. Peter has turned away. Peter has left. Peter has walked away. We don't know what Peter did for those few days that Jesus was dead. Peter turned away from Jesus. But he would have reminded he would have been reminded of the words of Jesus telling him that although he would betray Jesus, he would repent and turn back to Jesus again. And when he turns back, he will strengthen the other disciples. That is literally what Jesus said to Peter. You will betray me, Peter. You will deny me, Peter. Three times you will deny me. Even before the sun comes up of the next day, you will deny me. But you will repent again. And you will turn back again. And you will come back and you will strengthen the other disciples. You will strengthen the other brothers. That's what Peter did. He was there to see the empty tomb. When Mary ran back because she was going to, to, to drop off flowers or something. I'm not sure what women do at tombs. But she was going there to, to, to do womanly things at the tomb. And the stones rolled away. She looks in. It's empty. It's gone. Jesus is not there. She runs back to the disciples where everyone was. She goes and tells them, Jesus, Jesus is not there anymore. His body is not there anymore. And it was Peter and John that ran to that tomb. That peered in, that looked in, that stepped into that tomb where Jesus was laying. It was Peter that was there. He was there. He came back. He was there when Jesus appeared among the disciples when they were in a locked room together. Peter was there when Jesus told them to receive the Holy Spirit. Peter was there. Peter came back. Yes, he tripped up and fell. Yes, he did the very thing he swore he would never do. But he came back to Jesus. He turned back to Jesus again. Even if we turn away from Jesus, even if we walk away from Jesus, even if we live our lives apart from Jesus, go off and do our own thing without Jesus, as soon as we turn back to Him, He is there to accept us again. He is there to wrap us with love. He is there to pick us back up. He is there. As soon as we turn back to Him and make Him Lord again,
the advantage returns. Peter turned back. He came back. He came back to Jesus and watch what happens. In John chapter 21 verse 3 to 11. Simon Peter, both names this time, said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples didn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they caught, they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped it for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over charcoal fire. Isn't that amazing? And some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I'm not sure how many large fish it takes to tear a net, but 153 large fish is a mighty catch. It is a huge catch, considering that they haven't caught anything the whole night. And then Jesus says to them, try the other side of the boat, mate. It's as if they didn't do it. Like oh, this left side, it's the left side. We're going to do the left side. That's what, we're, that's what dad said. We're going to do the left side. And Jesus is like, try the right side. And they catch 153 large fish. It's the same thing that happened at the start. Just as Peter met Jesus, Jesus does the same thing again. The same thing again. The same thing happened. He allowed Jesus to lead him, to be his master, his Lord. His boat almost sank because of the amount of fish he caught. Now it's happening again. Even though he turned away from Jesus, even though he denied Jesus, even though he did the exact thing he promised he would never do, even if, you turn away. When you turn back, the advantage returns. God's graceful. God's gracious. God's full of grace. When we stumble, when we fall, when we quit, when we turn away, when we walk away from Him, He's not angry. He's eagerly waiting, awaiting our return. He's eagerly watching to see when we turn back. And when we turn back and we say, I'm sorry, we repent of what we've done. We repent of our shortcomings. And we say, you are master. You are Lord. I do what you ask me to do. The advantage will return. The advantage comes back. The second, even if, is Jesus isn't here. We aren't like Peter, we, we're not like James, we're not like John, we're not like Thomas. They had the physical Jesus, the skin and bone Jesus. They had him right with them. They walked with him. They talked with him. They listened to him. They heeded his 
voice and heeded his instructions. They did as he said. Doesn't that sound easy? Doesn't that sound simple? It's Jesus. I can see it's the Messiah. It's the Lord. He's, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the Son of God. He is God himself. Of course I'm going to do what he says. He's standing right in front of me. It's a great advantage. But Jesus isn't here. We don't have the skin and bone Jesus. We don't have the physical Jesus with us. We can't touch Jesus. We can't see Jesus right now. He's not here. They had Jesus lead them, guide them, telling them where to go, pointing what road to go down, drawing it on a map, writing down their speeches for them. This is what you say. This is how you say it. This is when you say it. This is where you go. This is what you do. This is how you do it. This is who you're going to talk to. When you go to this town, you're going to see these people. They've got a donkey for you. Get, tell them this, and they're going to bring it here. It was simple. They had that, but we don't have that. We don't have that. Jesus isn't here for us like that. But what we do have, though, are the writings of the eyewitnesses of Jesus. What we do have are the stories and the recollections of the disciples of Jesus. What we have are the written evidence of Jesus being on earth, walking and talking, working and resting, showing us how to talk, showing us how to walk, showing us how to love. That's what we have. It's written out for us how he ministered to people, how he led people. We have the word of God. We've got everything we actually need. It's written there for us. With that comes so much direction. With that comes so much instruction. With that comes some commands and some reminders. We have the New Testament, which is full of the teachings of Jesus, full of the wisdom of Jesus. We have such a deep resource. And when utilized as it should be, it will set us free. It will change us. It will develop us and grow us into who God created us to be. And as much as the Word of God, as much as the Gospels, as much as all the, the letters that, that Paul has written and all the other apostles wrote for us, as much as all these things are incredible, as much as all the teachings of Jesus are an advantage, Jesus in flesh and bone still isn't here. But that's not the best thing for us. Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. It is to your advantage that I go. Jesus says this. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to our advantage that Jesus isn't here. It is to our advantage that we do not have the flesh and bone Jesus with us, walking with us, talking to us, tapping us on the shoulder, saying, no, not left, go right. It is our advantage that he's not here. It is our advantage that Jesus isn't here. If he was still here in flesh and bone, then we wouldn't have his spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our guide, our counselor. Our comforter, the Holy Spirit is always there, always with us, always ready to help us, ready to give us guidance, ready to give us wisdom, ready to equip us for what lays ahead. If Jesus was still here in flesh and bone, 
then we wouldn't have the advantage that we have now. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us that follow Jesus. You see, if Jesus was still here in flesh and bone, although he is God and he can teleport, it'd be harder for him to be with every single one of us in every single moment of every single day. But his spirit can be. That is our advantage. His spirit, the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go, wherever we are, whatever we face. He is with us. The advantage that followers of Jesus get because the flesh and bone Jesus isn't here is his spirit is here. What we see in the life of Peter once he received the Holy Spirit is a different man. The Holy Spirit changed him. It changed the way he saw situations. It changed the way he saw other people, the way he saw himself. The Holy Spirit changed the way he acted, the way he talked, the way he responded to certain situations. Acts 2 tells us the immediate change that Peter and the other disciples felt when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 verse 1 to 4, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled upon them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. People who heard the noise were amazed. They were drawn to where the the room was. They were drawn in because they heard the wonders of God, the incredible miracles of God, what God has done. The glory of God spoken in their own mother language, their own native tongue. There were so many different people in Jerusalem at that time of different nations. And if we continue to read the, the, chapter, the verses between, well, verses 5 to 13, it actually lists of the different nationalities that were there. And each nationality heard their own tongue spoken. And it was amazing. These, these guys are just from... Nazareth, these guys are from Galilee. These guys are not from Ethiopia. These guys are not from, I don't know, another place that they're not from. They're not from these places, yet they're speaking these different languages. They were amazed. They were astounded. They were in awe of what God was doing in that moment. Then there were some that just disregarded it. They said, nah, they're just drunk. As if... Getting drunk gives you the ability to speak in a different language. It, uh, yeah. But that's what they were like. They were like, nah, they're just silly. They're drunk people. We, they're making it up. We continue to read in Acts 2 verse 14 to 24. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other disciples or apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you. Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I love that. That's so good. It's too early. As if there was a time. But there isn't. There isn't. There's no time. I've lost it. Thank you. No. No. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord's Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus as the Nazarene, the Nazarene to doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him. As, as we all know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. When the help of lawless Gentiles, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God realized, realized, released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grips. Forty days, Jesus has been risen and showing himself to many of his followers. Yet in those 40 days, Peter and the other disciples were sneaking around Jerusalem, trying not to be caught. They didn't want to be caught by the same people that arrested Jesus. They were avoiding the religious leaders because of what happened to Jesus. They were scared. They were Sneaking around at night, they were hiding in locked rooms. They were wandering through different places, taking the back roads. I don't want to walk down this main road. We're going to go in the upper room. That's, it's safe there. We're not seen by the people. That was their mentality. That was their mindset. That's what they felt. That's what they went through. That's what was in them. That's what they were acting like. They were afraid. They didn't want to be caught and arrested and killed like Jesus. But now, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and the other disciples had courage. They had boldness. Instead of staying hidden, Peter started calling out those who just killed Jesus and telling everyone who could hear him that even though they killed Jesus, he lives again. What they tried to do didn't work. They tried to silence Jesus. They tried to stop Jesus. They tried to silence his disciples. They tried to stop what was happening. Because so many people were starting to realize that the truth is in Jesus. So many people were starting to realize that it is Jesus that is the Messiah. It is Jesus that sets free. It is Jesus that saves. And they couldn't handle it anymore. So they killed him to silence him, to scare them, to oppress them. As a warning, you continue this, you're next. You continue this, we're going to silence you too. But because of the Holy Spirit, Peter and the other disciples were now filled with courage and went on telling all who listened to them that salvation comes only by turning to Jesus. They were so passionate and preached with such conviction that over 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus and were baptized. They went from hiding in locked rooms to preaching to over 3,000 people and them deciding that they want to follow Jesus, that what these people have said are so convincing, they are so, it is such truth, it is so compelling that I am willing to give my life to this Jesus that they've just spoken about. 
That's the Holy Spirit. They couldn't do that by themselves. They weren't doing that when Jesus was with them. Yes, Jesus had many followers. Yes, Jesus fed 5,000. Yes, Jesus did so many miracles. Yes, the apostles went out two by two to all the towns telling people about Jesus. But 3,000 people in one day baptized, that's the Holy Spirit. The advantage is the Holy Spirit. Peter's life has changed. He received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and he is a different person. He becomes a courageous person, no matter what is ahead of him, a person that spreads the good news of Jesus with boldness. This is the advantage we, gain, we can gain too. We can receive the Holy Spirit and allow him to give us courage to do what he has asked us to do to live our lives according to His will and His way. Even if we don't have the physical Jesus here with us, His Spirit is available for all of us to help us to be who God created us to be. The Holy Spirit is the advantage. He is the advantage that all who follow Jesus have the opportunity to gain. Even if Jesus isn't here, even if we don't have the flesh and bone Jesus The advantage is his spirit. It is better that he left, his physical body left, but his spirit is here with every single one of us. That is the advantage, the Holy Spirit. The last even if is it's uncomfortable. I want to read again the the words of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, that What he said in Luke chapter 1 about Jesus. In verse 79, 79, he says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Over this Christmas time and leading up to Christmas, and and, uh, as as some of you know, the the message that I preached earlier, uh, the Advantage Part 1, it was this verse that really gripped me. It was this verse that really caused me to just sit back and really think about Jesus, really think about who He is, what He does, what He has done for us, what He came to do. When Jesus first appeared to His disciples, as they were hiding in a locked room because they were scared, the first thing He said to them was, peace be with you. Hey, hey, young, or look at me. It's peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus, Jesus just walked through a locked door. And as he is standing there, he declares that peace is with you. He's standing there saying, peace is with you. Jesus, I don't, it just blows my mind. He, he walks in and the first thing he says is, peace be with you. I've, I'm Jesus. I now step in on this part of the stage. I'm here now. As Jesus, peace is now here on this part of the stage. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm stepping into your environment right now and peace is with you. Peace be with you. Now Jesus was obviously first calming them down because they are freaking out. 
Jesus was just killed. Now we can't find his body. And, 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 and things, are, things are hectic right now for these, these poor little Jews. It's tough. It's tough for them. So Jesus is like, just calm down. Be at peace. Be at peace. But what he's also saying is peace is with you. Peace is here. Peace is here. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus doesn't just bring peace to our troubled souls. He is our peace because he himself is peace. It means a lot for Paul to say this because if there was anyone that would have a reason to be anxious or a reason to be scared or a reason to be full of fear or a reason to not want to do what Jesus asks him to do, it is Paul. He has some great excuses for not wanting to do what Jesus does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 27, Paul details all the reasons he could have been scared or anxious or worried or filled with fear. It says this, are, the servants, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Yet despite all of the suffering, despite everything that he did for Jesus, he writes that Jesus himself is our peace. Through all that suffering, Paul says that Jesus himself is at peace, is peace. And he is with Jesus, so he finds peace. It's just incredible. It's just incredible that that. that Paul recognizes this. Everything he went through, yet he can still stand there and say, I'm at peace. And I'm willing to do it all again. I'm willing to do it all again. I'll go again. I'll go wherever he sends me. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. Because peace is with me. Peace is with him. Jesus doesn't promise us sunshine and rainbows. In fact, it's the exact opposite. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you all this so that, may, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In this world you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world, and in me you can have peace. That's what Jesus is saying. In me, 
there's peace. Because what you're going to go through is hard. What you're about to face is difficult. What you're about to do is going to almost kill you. But in me, you have peace. And do not be afraid of this world because he has overcome the world. He has defeated everything that holds us back in this world. And everything that can hold us back that leads us into eternity. He has overcome it all. This world brings a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of hardships, a lot of trials. And when we choose to live our lives with Jesus as our Lord, these sorrows and trials do not go away. No, walking with Jesus brings its own sort of sorrows and trials. But peace is there. This peace that Jesus says is found in him is available to those who trust in him. And that's a promise. Isaiah 20, uh, 26 verse 3 says this, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Can I have the band come up, please? Those who keep their, th- they keep their thoughts fixed on Jesus, their eyes fixed on Jesus, their trust in Jesus, they will be in perfect peace. Walking with Jesus, doing what he asks us to do, being a follower of Jesus will get uncomfortable. It will get tough. It will get hard. But even if it gets uncomfortable, the advantage is that we get peace. We get to walk with the path, on the path of peace. We get to be with peace, and peace will always be with us. Peace will be with us even to the ends of the age. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. It's when we're obedient to him that we get the advantage. It's when we're obedient to him. It's when we turn back to him. Even after we fall. Even after we trip up. Even after we fail. Even after we walk away. When, we're, when we turn back to Him and, and, and we're obedient to Him again, the advantage returns. When we're obedient to Him, He gives us the advantage of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of Jesus. That is the advantage. When we're obedient to Him, we get to walk on the path of peace. We get to Be with peace. And peace is with us. And no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter what trials are ahead, no matter what sorrows are ahead, peace is with us. And we find ourselves on the path of peace. 2024 will be a great year if you walk on the path of peace. 2024 will be a great year if you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. 2024 will be a great year if we turn to Jesus 
and allow him to lead us and guide us. 2024 will be a successful year if we are obedient to what he asks us to do. That's what it's about. The advantage is attached to obedience. When we do as he asks, his peace is with us. When we do as he asks, his Holy Spirit is with us. When we do as he asks, he will do it all again. And the advantage will always be there. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your peace. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. I thank you so much for the acceptance that we receive when we turn back to you. I thank you for the advantage that we get when we're obedient to you. And Lord, I pray that we as a church will continue to be obedient to you. That we will continue to do as you ask us, ask us to do. That we will do it when you ask us to do it. That we will step through those new doors that you open for us, God. That we will turn back to you when we fall down. That we will walk with your Holy Spirit. And that we will walk on the path of peace. Let us be that church in 2024. And let the world see the advantage that it brings to be obedient to you. I want to take an opportunity now if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have not taken hold of that advantage that is there for all of us, He came to be the light to us all so that we can see that we sat in darkness, so that we can see that we're under the shadow of death, but He is there to take us out of that and to walk with us on the path of peace. If you want that, if you haven't asked Jesus to be your peace, your Savior, your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity now to receive Him. So if that's you this morning, I, I, I encourage you to be brave and raise your hand just to indicate to me that you want to receive Jesus. And I want to pray with you. I want to help you invite Jesus into your, Lord, your life as Lord and Savior. So as I look over the room, if, if there's anyone that wants to make that decision this morning, if you haven't yet received Jesus. Well, we thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing here. We thank you, Jesus, that you have set us free. We thank you, Jesus, for your love that continues to pick us up, for your love that continues to equip us, for your love that continues to propel us forward into more. We thank you, Jesus, for the advantage that we receive because of you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And we pray that next year, everything we do will bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.